This is the weekly Parsha Shior with Rabbi Chaim Bravender of Atid and WebYeshiva.org. Recorded live in Jerusalem at Beit Knesset Haramban. Visit www.webyeshiva.org for live interactive online shiurim today. Look, in this parasha, the parasha of Yitro, there's a mystery. And I'll prove to you that it's a mystery. You remember, I mean, the parasha of Mishpatim. This is the parasha of Mishpatim. Yitro, Yitro is the parasha of Matan Torah. Right, which includes the Aseret Hadibrot. Mishpatim, Mishpatim is divided into two parts. A bigger part, which contains Mishpatim. All kinds of laws. I think I, uh, it's time, right? Time to stop. Are we to, uh, not yet. Soon you will miss something. Okay, again, the parasha of Mishpatim, which is this week's parasha, is divided into two parts. The first part is Mishpatim. All kinds of, all kinds of laws. Many of them have to do with torts. And we have, uh, those of you who learn in Yeshiva know that uh, Baba Kama, Baba Metziah, you know, they're all about, it's all about, uh, uh, mishpatim. And that's why in school they like to teach kids Mishpatim because nobody knows exactly what it's talking about and it, it doesn't get you into theological difficulty. Mishpatim, if you know this guy hits that guy, so you punish him. If your ox falls into a hole, so whoever dug the hole is responsible. That's the kind of thing that Jews like to talk about because it assumes that all the theological questions have been answered previously in the parasha of Yitro. Now, at the end of the parasha of Mishpatim, you have the following psukim, right, which are difficult from the point of view of order and content. The psukim begin, begin here. You see, Perikav Gimel Pasukav, and that's what we want to talk about. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to B'nai Yisrael, to Moshe Rabbeinu, says, Shalom. Anachum ma'afriim lachem? No, but atem ma'afriim lachem. Okay. Don't get it, Israel. You know. I thought I was said in a nice way. Okay. Hinei anochi sholech malach lefanecha. We don't know who the malach is or why the malach is being sent. The rest of the pasuk says l'shomrecha baderech ulhaviachel amakom asher hachinoti that this malach is going to lead B'nai Yisrael to Eretz Yisrael. Why? Where? When? None of this is understandable. Now, if you look at Rashi, you will understand how much this is a mystery. Because Rashi says, Rashi, Kan nitbasru shatidim lachtot. 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe Rabbeinu and B'nai Yisrael, you are going to sin. The sin that is being referred to is Chet Egel. Here is B'nai Yisrael. They just received the Torah and Har Sinai, and now they receive Mishpatim, and they're going to they're going to say Naaseh Nishma on the Mishpatim and on Har Sinai. So Hakadosh Baruch says, "But just I want you to know one thing: you're going to sin." And Rashi says, It's like God says to them, "Because you're going to sin, parentheses, because you're going to sin." Hinei Anochi Sholeach Malach Lefanecha. Rashi. Ushchina omeret lehem ki lo aale bekir becha a pasuk ki lo aale bekir becha. It's like God says to them. Look up to up to the chayta egel kaviyachol Hashem wanted to bring them personally, if we could say such a thing, to Eretz Yisrael. But after the chayta egel, after the chayta egel, no, no more personally. They're not going to come. They're not going to come together to uh, uh, to God is not going to lead them to Eretz Yisrael, but the Malach. So, so like like from my vantage point, uh, when I came in Ali, I would have been very happy if an angel had led me to to Eretz Yisrael. But I guess what this means is that I mean I don't know what it means, but you know we could all imagine that that to be. Uh, uh, brought to Eretz Yisrael by HaKadosh Baruch Hu is somehow better than being brought to Eretz Yisrael by a Malach even though the result is exactly the same and in fact the Pasuk the next Pasuk says uh, don't think that just because it's a Malach that you could take liberties he shamer mipana ushma bekolo. You have to listen carefully. Vasit the kol asher adaber. Kol asher adaber means whatever I say that I tell the malach. Right? Somehow, don't think that this is a lesser kind of command. You know, just because it goes through an interpreter or goes through a interlocutor. I love that word. What? Yishma bekolo al tamer bo. Don't. Deny his authority. So now we're, there's a, like a little aside here about what a malach is. A malach is not just a kind of a shaliach. Because if you send a message with a shaliach, well, I don't know if the shaliach is quoting it exactly right, that if you've got it perfect, you know, if you send it with a shaliach. But if the malach, the Balach is a perfect shaliach. Right? Kishmi Bikirbo. I don't know what that means either. It was like, like this part of the story is totally a mystery in the sense that uh, uh, Rashi, I, guess I, I had to think about Rashi. Rashi must have been at a loss, at a total loss. In order to explain this pasuk here in Mishpatim, everybody's on a high, right? They just had had Matan uh, Torah uh, uh, and then Mishpatim and God and Moshe Rabbeinu said okay you, you're going for all this Nasev Nishma right Nasev I mean is there a higher point in Jewish history and and Rashi says and so at that moment 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu decides to tell them that they will sin, meaning no Bechirach Hofshit, which is something that Judaism abhors, right? We, we, as Jews, always say you have free will, you can make free will choices. How could you say you will sin? A specific sin, because Rashi points to a specific... Is that like, like you're saying something that is psychologically true or sociologically true, that, that people who, who are happy with themselves tend to sin? Like, you could say that. But it doesn't mean that you could point to a specific sin. I mean, how, I mean, how, does, that, how does that jive with anything we've ever heard of? And what kind of malach is this? And what was it... Why is this called a punishment? Why is it called a punishment? I mean, what's the difference? Isn't it true that B'nai Yisrael in the desert were led by this pillar of fire and the cloud? Is that a malach? Is that what... I mean, the, the whole thing defies... defies belief. Defies belief. Let's look at Rashi. Rashi says... Uh, on the first pasuk, right? Ela makom Hashem So Rashi realizes that Hashem I mean, what does that mean? What do you mean God prepared? Prepared it. Prepared Eretz Yisrael. So Rashi says, Asher zimanti latet lachem. The word zimanti means like I've, I've ordered it up or I've set it aside. Right? Like, like in, in Hebrew we say hismanti. Right? Hismanti et a you know, his vantiet akisei. I ordered it. It was designated. It it was designated. So that's what zimanti. Vezehu pshuto umedrasho. And I think that when Rashi says zehu pshuto umedrasho, it's because it's because as the Abdovitz uh, Fardu always said. You know, Fardu became a uh, a famous name because the head of the Mossad. The new head of the Mossad. You know about the Mossad? You know, it's like we go around the world kill people. That's the Mossad. So the head of the Mossad, his name is Fardu. Of course, in Israel they call him Pardu. Because there's a rule in Diktuk that if a word starts with Beget Kefet, it always has a Dagesh in it. Right? There's a rule. So, of course... Since Rav David Fardu, the original Fardu that we're talking about, came from Italy, where that Beget Kefet rule didn't exist, so he used to be called, he was always called David Fardu. Now in Israel they call him Pardu. Oh, okay, I mean, you, you have to be forgiving about these little indiscretions. So Rav David Fardu was a very, um, he wrote several very important works. One of the works that he wrote was a Perush on Rashi called Maskil le David. It was all of the Perushim that he wrote have the, his name in the title. It's called Maskil le David. It's a book that's available. You go into one of these bookstores that sell Hebrew books. It's hard to find them these days. You know, most of them sell English books only. Everything's in English. But this has not yet been translated to English. Maskele David, so the Maskele David is the one who uh, popularized the notion that when Rashi says pshat and then drash, it's because he doesn't like the pshat. 
because he feels that there's something wrong with the pshat, so he says a drash. Of course, that doesn't explain why he ex- quoted the pshat. Like, if you don't like the pshat, but you do like the drash, so why quote the pshat? You should only quote the drash. So I think a better explanation is that there's a certain kind of uh, 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 Rashi. Rashi was not averse to thinking that a pasuk could be understood in a variety of ways as a basic understanding. You know, not just the, like what we call a drasha, but Rashi thought that, that sukim sometimes had more than one meaning. So here he says that the simple pshat is asher zimanti lachem. I prepared Eretz Yisrael for your benefit. Zel pshuto umidrasho ela makom asher he achinoti kfar mikomi nikar kinegdo. How's that? This is like Kabbalah. Mikomi nikar kinegdo. That is Eretz Yisrael, and then there's heaven. Right? Eretz Yisrael is the place of Am Yisrael. And uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a place somehow, in some way, in heaven. And the place of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in heaven is opposite the place of Am Yisrael on earth. That place is called Eretz Yisrael. So Asher HaChinoti, Asher HaChinoti doesn't mean that God arbitrarily chose a place in which Am Yisrael should live, but there is like an ultimate preparation. When the world was created, it was created so that Eretz Yisrael was the obvious place uh, uh, for B'day Yisrael. And you remember the first Rashi in the Chumash. You should always remember the first Rashi in the Chumash, no matter what your political opinion is. But the first Rashi in Chumash says, how come, right, they ask that question, how come the Torah starts Breshit Baralukim, and the Torah doesn't start from, from, Achodesh Hazer Lachem, which is the first mitzvah, like assuming, if the Torah is a book of mitzvot, so start with the first mitzvah of B'nai Yisrael, and the answer, Rashi's answer, not perfectly clear, but Rashi's answer is, that the world is, what Breshit proves is that the world is the way God wants it to be. And how does God want it to be? That Eretz Yisrael belongs to Am Yisrael. So that if the people who live in Eretz Yisrael, before we got there, before Yoshua ben Nun, come and they say, but what are they going to say, those people? What? Yeah, but what does that mean? What do you mean, listim atem? What's the pshat listim atem? They're going to say, you guys are a bunch of robbers, like the United Nations. You know, in the United Nations, that's what they say, you're a bunch of, ra- of robbers. But what's their real argument, theologically? What's the argument of the people who live there? The argument is, the argument is, if we live here, it's because God told us to live here, or allowed us to live here. Why is your divine promise better than my divine promise? No? You don't get it? The Sheva Abamin, right? The Chiti and the Chivi and the Yabusi and all those guys live in Eretz Yisrael. They've lived there for a long time. So here comes Yoshua bin Nun. Here comes Yoshua bin Nun and he says, God gave it to us. And they say, who said God gave it to you? Obviously God gave it to us because we're here. So this is 
called a theological disagreement. Whose information from God is more significant? So the Torah comes to tell us that it's perfectly reasonable. This is, I'm telling you what Rashi says. That it's per- perfectly reasonable for God to put these people there for some period of time and then to take it away from them and put us there. Because that's the way it has to be. The world is not static from the divine point of view, but it's dynamic. There's a dynamic in the world which says, okay, things are changing. Up to now they were this way, and now they're changing, becoming a different way. As long as we're certain, in other words, we don't deny the fact that they lived here for many years before we showed up. They did. But now, they're going to go live in someplace else. That's, I'm not making a political statement here. I hope. So that's what, that's what Rashi says. So he says, Zeh, uh, in other words, it's obvious that Eretz Yisrael is Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is Eretz Yisrael. And, and that means that it's the place for the people who recognize God. Because it, it parallels or is opposite or is reflective of the place of God in heaven. There's such a thing. Even though God is every place, you know that there is this kind of a, a Kabbalistic question, you know, if God is every place, how can you say God is some place? Right? Like if God is every place, how can you say God is at the, is at Hara Moriah, at the Beit HaMikdash, at the Kotel Marevi? How do you say that? Well, so the, 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 in the Zohar, the Zohar has a clear position. God is at the same time every place and some place. And if you don't understand that, I can't help you. But that's what the Zohar says. And that's what, you know, people have thought for many, many years. So he says, Shebet HaMikdash shel Mala Mechuvan Kebeget Beit HaMikdash shel Mata. So you see that on this part of the Pasuk, Asher HaChinoti, Asher HaChinoti, Rashi becomes a Kabbalist. Rashi becomes a Kabbalist. Now, Rashi was not a Kabbalist. There's no indication that anything that Rashi wrote or quoted that he had anything to do with Kabbalah. But you see that the idea, the idea that there's a Beit HaMikdash in heaven, I mean, this is not an idea that comes only from the Kabbalah, but the Kabbalah liked it. Kabbalists liked it. And here you see Rashi is using it. You know, if you look now at a Kabbalistic commentary, you'd see like Rashi expanded again and again. So Rashi is not a Kabbalist, but sometimes that's how it works out. The next Pasuk says, Al-Tamerbu, do not deny his authority, the angel. Lishon Hamra'ah Kemo Asher Yamre Et Picha. You know, Rashi says that the word Tamer, Al-Tamer is the, the same as the word Hamra'ah, which means to deny authority. Shouldn't deny his authority. Why shouldn't you deny his, uh, his authority? Because it says, means to bear. When you bear the sin, it means you're forgiving. 
Right, that, that's another way of saying, well, God bears the sins of Am Yisrael, God forgives Am Yisrael. And he doesn't forgive them entirely, he forgives them partially. Right? That's what Yisa, to bear. Kilo Yisa l'pishechem, eino melumad bekach shehu min hakat she'ein chotein. In other words, Kilo Yisa p'shechem, what does that mean? You're in a worse position led by the angel than you would be if you were led by HaKadosh Baruch. Why are you in a worse position? Because the angel, Lo Yisapishechem, he can't bear your avonot. And what does Rashi say? Eino melumad b'kach. He has no experience of Yisapishechem. He has no such experience. Because what's an angel? Angel, they don't know about sin. Angel just does what it's supposed to do. Right? He doesn't have free... He's not a free will actor. He doesn't make free will choices. Right? That's an angel. Another way of saying that is that the angel is a messenger or an emissary and he only knows how to do what God tells him to do. He doesn't think about it. But, I mean, he's, he's an agent. Agents do what they are supposed to do. Right? The last part of the Pasuk. Goes back to the beginning of the Pasuk. Be careful when the angel tells you to do something because he represents... He represents God. Okay, Rabbi. Tehran Muzem Metatron doesn't interest us. Metatron is the name of an angel, which would take us into a different, you know, course of study. What I'm interested in is, what is HaKadosh Baruch Hu saying about B'nai Yisrael? So Rashi told us, Rashi told us that there's a strictness that one of the meanings of this, uh, of this uh, statement, Hinei Anoch Sholech Malach, that you'll be led by a malach means that the situation is going to be more difficult than it has been up to now. Well, up to now, you have to face God. And God is compassionate, right? That's what we learned after the Chaita Egel, right? After the Chaita Egel, HaKadosh Baruch makes Moshe Rabbeinu aware of the Yud Gimel Midot of Rachamim. Hashem, Hashem, Kerachum, V'chanon, Nechapayim, Rav Chesed, Right? That's the, those are, that's, we call that the Yud Gimel Midot of Rachamim. That's God. But that's not the angel. So that, that the punishment, the punishment that, that's what Rashi says. I mean, I mean, what it has to do with what's going on in this parasha, that's a question. But what Rashi says is that after the Cheta Egel, the relationship of B'nai Yisrael to heaven is going to change. Until the Cheta Egel, they were led by Kodesh Baruch. And to be, to be led by a Kaddish Baruch Hu means, means compassion, mercy. After the Chaita Egel, they're going to be led by the angel. And the angels don't know about compassion or mercy. All they know is the letter of the law. That's all they know about. So the punishment of the Yisrael will be a lack of compassion in history. A lack of compassion in history. That's I mean, all of this is very interesting. You know, all this is very interesting, but where does it come from? And where does it go to? And why should it be here? 
Why should we hear in the pursuit? That Rashi doesn't answer. That Rashi doesn't answer. But you certainly feel that Rashi had this... Um, I don't know how to say it. He said that Rashi had this difficulty. That this difficulty. He didn't really know why the Malach was being presented now. But we know that for Rashi, the, there's a principle called Ein Muktam Umuchar Batorah. And even though he doesn't mention it here, it doesn't throw him, if you know what I mean. Rashi is not disturbed by the fact that things are not in order. So, but even though he doesn't say here, Ein Muktam Umuchar Batorah, maybe that's what he means. That these psukim about the Malach should have been in the Torah if the Torah was written in order should have come after the Chet Ego, But since the Torah is not written in order, necessarily, then they gave it here. In other words, for Rashi, it's not a question. That's what I want you to... For us, it's a question. Right? For us, it's very annoying. I think. I think it's very annoying. But for Rashi, it's not so annoying. Because Rashi thought that Ein Mukdam Muchabah Torah could be applied liberally. Anytime you want. Anytime Ein Mukdam Muchabatara solves a problem, so you apply it. You apply it to that problem. Okay? That's what Rashi, that's how Rashi explains these psukim. Now, let's look at the Ramban. Let's look at the Ramban. The Ramban, what you have quoted on the sheet, believe it or not, is only about a third of the Ramban on this pasuk. But we're interested in the, in the Ramban, uh, we're interested in the way the Ramban uh, uh, deals with Pshat. Now, you know that in general, the Ramban does not like to use Ein Mukdam Mukhabathara. That's like a kind of thing about the Ramban. As uh, we, we talked about that, right? And it, it, it may be, I mean, my theory, or the theory that I said uh, several times, which no one... Uh, said anything about so I assume it's either perfectly right or totally wrong <laughs> the Ramban in his introduction to the Torah says that the entire Torah the Ramban was a Kabbalist right so he says the entire Torah is really made up of Shemotav Shel HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the names of God and then he explains what that means he says, if you write the letters, if you string out the letters of the Torah, like without spacing them, and then you find a new spacing, so you see that the Torah really could be read in different ways. Like instead of reading Bereshit, Bara Lukim, you could read Bara, Shit, Kel. You could divide up the words differently. And if you know how to do that, you'll see that the whole Torah contains again and again, the names of HaKadosh Baruch. Now, of course, this is a very powerful idea, right, that, that we say that uh, somehow the Torah represents the thinking of God on a variety of matters. They say, oh, well, you know, how could the thinking of God be available to me? They say, well, you should know that behind the Torah, there's another Torah in which the uh, availability is much more limited. So it's like I mean, that's what the Kabbalists, the way the Kabbalists explain to themselves, how could it be that we understand the Torah? Uh, they didn't have a problem with not understanding the Torah. <laughs> that made sense to them. You know, if the Torah is, comes from God, why, why should we understand it? 
But they had a problem with the kind of Torah that you do understand. They would not, uh, you know, you know that the Zohar, in the Zohar, I, I mean, I'm not an expert on the Zohar. I just can quote a couple of things. You know, like, uh, you know, like you could, secondary literature, very helpful. But, uh, so the, the Zohar asked the question, in the Zohar, the following question is asked. What is the most difficult parasha in the Torah? Well, let's say I'd ask you that. Then you go for a prize, like, you know, a big car. You got a big car. Whoever gets the answer right gets a big car. What would you say? No, parasha means 10 psukim, or 30 psukim, or a parasha between, between one parasha and the second, not a, a safer. Not a, what? Okay, I mean, everybody would say something, right? Everybody would say, you could take a guess. Everybody could take a guess. You could say, Shiratayam. Shiratayam. What does the Zohar say? The Zohar said, Periklamet Zion in Breshit. Periklamet Zion in Breshit is about Alufei Esav. Remember Esav? Esav, one of the sons of, of Yitzchak. Now, in Perik Lamed Zayin and Breshit, the Torah tells us about his family. His wives' names, his children's names, the wives of the children, right? The whole, whole parasha. So what does the Zohar say? So what does the Rambam say? You remember the Rambam? The Rambam says, so, so everybody has the same question, like, who needs it? Like, what do we have to know? Every year you have to read in shul this parasha as part of the Torah. How, how could it be part of the Torah? It's, it's information that is totally irrelevant to me. What do I care if Asab's wife was Ali Brahma or something? What, what, what difference does it make to me? I mean, what importance could it possibly have? You look at the parasha, Rashi, very sparse. They have nothing to say. Rashi has nothing to say about these names. So the Rambam says that after all, Amalek was a descendant of Esav. And in order to do the mitzvah of Mechiat Amalek, of destroying Amalek, you have to be able to recognize them. If you know who's Amalek, you go up to a guy and you say, I think you're an Amaleki, can you show me your Tudat Zehut? Right? Because I, wanted, I don't want to just kill anybody. I want to kill a truly a true Amalekite. So, give me your two dots of hood. So, in other words, what you do is, like what they do in Russia, what's your mother's name, what's her mother's name, what's her mother's name, you know, you, you try to identify. So, here we have the expanded family of Amalek. So, if somebody comes along and says, I'm a descendant of Esau, so you're suspicious. Maybe he's Amalek. That's the Rambam the Rambam's answer, the Zohar's answer, the, Zohar, the Rambam says, why do you need the whole Pasha? So that you can recognize Amalek if you see them. Like somebody comes along and says, I'm an Amalekite, so you check into it. You're not going to kill him just because he said that he's from Amalek. So, the Zohar says that the, this is the most difficult Pasha in the Torah because there's no Pshat. What do you mean? You say no pshat. It means that when you read the words of the parsha, you don't get any profit. Nothing comes out of it. That's called no pshat. 
according to the Zohar. So that means that this parasha has this parasha of Esau and his children and his wives and all that can only be understood Kabbalistically. Like the Kabbalah can make something of it. But the Pshat cannot. The Pshat cannot. So even though usually, usually the different ways of learning a Pasuk live side by side, like in this Rashi that we saw, there's a Pshat, there's a Medrash. So we can talk about why, why there are two and not one and what one adds and what the other. You can talk about all of that. But, but according to the Kabbalah, one of the ways of interpreting the Torah is also sowed. But usually they would agree. There's a pshat and there's a sowed. But in this parasha there's only sowed. There's no, there's no pshat. So that makes it the most difficult parish in the world. Because for all the other parishes in the Torah you don't have to be a Kabbalist. You know, you could get something out of it. You may not get full understanding, right? You, you don't get full understanding, but you get something. But on this parish, if you read the words of the parish, according to the Zohar, you get nothing. You get nothing. So, I was trying to explain to you why the Ramban doesn't like Ein Mukdam Muchabatara. And I told you it's because the Ramban thought that the words of the Torah equal the names of God. And it sounds to me like that means there should be the proper order, that the words are ordered according to the names of God and not according to uh, uh, some other Midrashic policy. And therefore, I thought that the Ramban was kind of loath to mess around with the order of things unless it was clear from the Tsukim themselves that they had to be read. And I told you that, you know, about the Gemara and Pesachim that talks about Ein Mukdam Muchar Torah and Bamidbar Perak Aleph is the Chodesh Hasheni Bashana Hashniyah and Perak Tet is Chodesh Harishon Bashana Hashniyah that's what it says so here we're looking at the Ramban so I tell you the Ramban it's not like Rashi Rashi is willing to say Ein Mukdam Muchar Torah here he doesn't even say it but I guess he means it that's what he means the Ramban doesn't say that Kan Rashi uh, the Ramban. Skip, skip, skip. Lashon Rashi. You see? Lashon Rashi. He's quoting, first he quotes Rashi. And then he says, Ra'iti. Gam. kach. He said, this is not just Rashi's invention, but this is in the Medrash, in other words, he's upgrading. The Ramban says, the Ramban sort of says, look, I, I don't have to accept Rashi's opinion, but it's hard for me to deny the opinion of the Medrash, right, of Tanaim. So he says, he says, this never happened. Because HaKadosh Baruch said, V'shilachti l'fadecha mal'ach, ki lo a'ele b'kir b'cha, u'moshe b'kesh aleha rachamim v'amar, emein panecha olchim, al ta'aleinu mizeh. Remember HaKadosh Baruch said to Moshe Rabbeinu, after the chay to Egel, the malach will take you to Eretz Yisrael. And Moshe Rabbeinu argued. He didn't accept that. 
And so HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, it ain't Padak, Moshe Rabbeinu said, it ain't Padak Olchim, Al Taledu Mise, Umayiv Vada'i Foki Matsati Chaim Veinecha, Ani Vamecha, Alo, Belech Tachayim Hanu. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, Adarabo, how do I know that this, the whole affair of Egel Hazahab is over? Only if you lead us to Eretz Yisrael. If you don't take us to Eretz Yisrael, so then we remain in, in trouble. And it says, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I will do as you, Moshe Rabbeinu, ask. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu, that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu said. So how could Rashi say, that the Malach is going to go and lead B'nai Yisrael to Eretz Yisrael when the Torah itself says that it's not going to be, that it didn't happen that way. Now look, uh, we, could, we could discuss this further. It's inconceivable that Rashi didn't know these psukim that the Rabban quotes and that he didn't have it in his mind when he wrote what he wrote. Uh, so, you know, we could try to defend we could try to figure out a way of defending Rashi, but instead of doing that, let's go on in the Ramban, because now, according to the Ramban, we have a problem. So what is this, what is it? What is What is it about? If, according to the Ramban, if, according to the Ramban, HaKadosh Baruch so to speak, thought of that. But Moshe Rabbeinu argued against it. And having argued against it, HaKadosh Baruch reneged. Right, that's what it looks like to us. I mean, obviously, that's not, it's not a good way to explain any kind of interaction with God. The way to explain it more properly is that God never intended to send the Malach. But he tells Moshe Rabbeinu, this is what should be. This is what you deserve, right? The Yedrei Yisrael deserve to be led by a Malach. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, What? We're not going to go. And HaKadosh Baruch says, okay, but it doesn't mean, at least the way we understand things, I would say, it doesn't mean that God changed God's mind, so to speak. It's, it's rather that, it's rather that there's, there's a, a before mercy and after mercy. There's like, what, he, what should have happened and what did happen. So sometimes it looks to us like God is changing his mind, so to speak. But it's not true. It's only that we are granted an awareness of what's really going on. Like, you know, a stay of execution doesn't mean that you shouldn't be executed. There's other factors sometimes which create the, the stay of execution. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu said. How do we know that you've forgiven us? Only if you lead us to Eretz Yisrael. This is in the Psukim. These are the Psukim in the Torah. The Psukim appear on the sheets of place. The Chaynamru, the field of Pavanka Lokablinei. Pavanka is a, a messenger, a messenger. The Steve, if ain't Panecholchim, I'll tell later we say. In other words, they, they refused to be led by a messenger. And according to Moses, said, okay. Because 
In other words, uh, the Ramban says, this is what should have happened. It should have been that a malach led them to Eretz Yisrael. But the, uh, but the, the schut, the merit of Moshe Rabbeinu was so great that it was put off. That the punishment was put off. Here's the answer. You have to highlight this line. After Moshe Rabbeinu died, Where's the Malach? Turn the page. I think the Posik is there someplace. Where is Here, yeah, I'm turning the page. Hey, Yoshua Perak, hey. Remember Yoshua Perak, hey? It's on page two, uh, next to the last. Yoshua uh, Ish. Ish, the Rabbim says, is one of the synonyms for Malach. Right? Sometimes a Malach is called a Malach, sometimes a Malach is called an Ish. Ish or Medlin Egdova, Chabot Shlupabi Yadova, Yelch Yoshua, Elaba, Yomelo, Halanu Ata Im Litzarein. Yoshua didn't recognize him. He said, Are you on our side or are you the enemy? Lanu or Litzarein? Tzarein are the people who are annoying us, the enemy. Well, it sounds like it means a malach, an emissary, an emissary of God. Here I am. Bow down. And said, what do you have to say? Tell me what to do. You know, I'm, I'm your man. Yoshua said. So that you could say that Yoshua knew this was going to happen. I mean, it sounds like, you know, somebody shows up and he says, I'm, I'm an angel of God. Right? So you could put him in the lunatic asylum right away. But if you know that there's an angel of God coming, so your expectations are, are different. So how did Joshua know that there was an angel of God that was going to come according to, according to the Ramban? Because this is the promised angel. This is the promised angel. And this gives me an answer to the question. Remember what the question was? How come the angel is in the parasha of Mishpatim if it's a reflection of the chait of B'nai Yisrael after the chait HaEgev? Question. How come? Ah, because if it was written after the Chaita Egel, and then Moshe Rabbeinu would have made his plea, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu would have agreed, so what would we say the Pshat is? That there was a thought that there would be an angel. But that was rejected. If you put it in the Pasha of Mishpatim, it means that this promise, that you'll be led by an angel, even supersedes the chronology. Right? It's, it's beyond the Chaita Ego. And that's what the Rabban says, that the Hinei Anokhach Malach means, means, that's the way it's going to be at the end. At the end. When is the end? When Yoshua Binun comes to Eretz Yisrael. 
Okay, Moshe Rabbeinu, stay of execution. Yoshua Benun, he's going to be led by the angel, and he apparently knows that this is that this is what is is going to happen. You see the Rashi of Pasuk Yudalit? You see the Rashi of Pasuk Yudalit on this, this Pasuk in Yoshua? He says, Atabati Lezratcha. He says, the angel says, or the Sartaba, the guy with the sword, he says, I came to help you. To help you. She'ed adam yecholi lechem aleha uletopsa lapila choma. We're talking about Yericho. Avobimei Moshe Rabchabati velochatetzbi. At the time when Moshe Rabbeinu was the leader, I came and he didn't want me to stay. He wanted only direct access to God. The Pasuk that, this is Rashi, right? And he quotes the same Pasuk that the Rabban quoted. So the Rabban says, the Rabban says again, that this parsha of the Malach is supra-segmental. Like, it's, it doesn't have a place, right? It's certainly not connected only to the Egel Hazahab. It was generated by the Egel Hazahab. But the promise that the day is all going to be led by a Malach goes beyond the hate of the Egel Hazahab. And it's there, and it's going to happen. And it did happen. Not only is it going to happen, but it did happen. It happened to Yoshua Benun, not to, not to Moshe Rabbein. Okay. There's one more thing I would like to. Uh, I mean, uh, you have uh, on the sheet you have the psukim that I mentioned, but this is basically the position of the Ramban that that in fact the malach did happen. It didn't happen after the Chaita Egel, as Rashi says, but it happened for Yoshua Binun. And I added that the reason it's a mishpatim is because if it was in Kitisa, the Chaita Egel, it would look as though. Moshe Rabbeinu had wiped it out, you know, like sort of taken away the promise that there would be a Malach that would lead B'nai Yisrael in battle. But according to, so according to the Ramban, the promise is intact, and the retraction, the temporary retraction of the, of the promise because of Moshe Rabbeinu is also, also intact. So, what? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think so. Any event. And the Ramban is concerned about the order, right? He doesn't like to to to. And and in this case, I think the argument is compelling that you know it shouldn't be uh, in the place that Moshe Rabbeinu achieved the rejection of that promise, because you would think that that would be an ultimate rejection. So if it's an ultimate rejection, why should why should this parsha even exist? The parsha Mishpatim, if it kitisa. HaKadosh Baruch says, I'm, said, I'm not going to go dairy to Israel, I'm going to send them out. Moshe Rabbeinu argues that HaKadosh Baruch so to speak, with eggs. So what do I need this at all for? That's the Ramban's argument. So, so you need it, because it's going to happen. That's the whole point, and that's why it's not in the parish of Kitisa. It's, it's here to, to distinguish it from the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu was able to overcome the promise, so to speak. So now the last thing that I would like to look at is the is the Hamek Davar, the Nitziv, right? You know the Nitziv. 
lived in the 20th century. He was alive in the 20th century. I mean, the, the yeshiva of Olajan closed, closed the end of the 19th century, but he was alive in the 20th century in Warsaw. Those of you who have gone to, uh, uh, you know, on one of these trips, you know that Warsaw, there's nothing to see. Warsaw looks just like uh, Des Moines, Iowa or something, like a, like a regular city, but there is a Jewish graveyard. And that's what you could see in Warsaw. There's nothing else. I mean, you could see hotels and uh, you could see a tram that seems to work, which is something interesting. And uh, that's it. That's it. You go to the, when you go to the ghetto, there's just a, a sign. And the sign says, there was once a ghetto here. But the Germans destroyed it. And then the Poles rebuilt like houses. Uh, on the ghetto so I don't know I don't find I, I think that the whole Polish idea should be reconsidered you know for Israel so I don't think it's a good idea any, and then any event the Nitziv and Rav Chaim they were related Rav Chaim Brisker and the Nitziv uh, were uh, are buried together in the same Ohel even though they didn't exactly get along but I guess in death they got along okay. You know, they, they're both buried next to each other and they built this ohel on top of their, on top of the two graves. The ohel? Which? Uh, I don't know. You have to ask, you know, ask somebody who knows these kind of stories. And then you have to ask somebody, you have to ask somebody else who also knows the stories and compare the two stories. It's not, it's not, not always so simple. Not always so simple. At the end, you know, the Nitzif fought for a while against closing the Yeshiva in Voloshin. And Rav Chaim thought that they should close the Yeshiva in Voloshin earlier. Eventually, the Nitzif realized that you had to close the Yeshiva. You know, because the, the government forces wanted them to do a lot of secular studies. Now, there's this story that they used to come to check the Yeshiva. The yeshiva was a school of higher education. So uh, they said, well, what's the education? Like, what are they teaching? What are they teaching of the liba? You know, the liba? Like the things you have to know? I always think of when I learned trigonometry. I found it very useful in my life. I actually did well in trigonometry, but in retrospect. So I majored in math in college. I still didn't know why I learned trigonometry. <laughs> I mean, the things you learn because some wise person thinks that this is what the human, I don't know, body needs. You need like a certain injection of uh, trigonometry and calculus. To which I have another story. My son went to, uh, was a student, in a, he was a little kid in a kind of... Uh, a, a quasi cheder, you know, they're, they're like this. Before everybody went to cheder, so now there were these kind of schools. There were sort of schools, but the schools had a problem. They didn't want you to go to a regular high school. In order to make sure you didn't go to regular high school, they didn't teach you enough math. That was the idea. That's how they did it. So when you came, and like you went to one of these chadarim, and then you applied to. The teeth may ear, so you couldn't pass the test because they asked you A plus B equals whatever, and, and you didn't know what they're talking about. 
So that was the method. So I went to the, I, I met the principal of my son's school. I said, well, why don't you teach him the little algebra? He says, we do. He says, A equals 10. That's algebra. I said, well, I mean, I said, how about two unknowns? So he said to me, I've never met a person who went to the grocery store and had to pay a bill who was at a loss because he didn't know how to deal with two unknowns. So they're very pragmatic, you know, very pragmatic. But really, they didn't want to, they didn't want to teach the kids math, so they wouldn't be able to apply to a regular to a regular school. How did this come up? Trigonometry. Trigonometry is what you have to know. What? Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Ah, uh, so the needs to come to see what they were learning. So they couldn't show them the Beit Medrash where everybody was sitting and learning Gemara. So apparently they had one student who was a Baal Tshuva and had studied a new Pushkin Baal Peh. And they'd bring him out. <laughs> and he would start quoting pages of some novel of Pushkin and the, and the representatives of the government were, uh, were very impressed. The, the really interesting thing about that story is still going on. It's the, the, today it's exactly the same. Exactly. <laughs> I can bring you stories about those. Anyway, here's the Nitziv. I knew this Nitziv, but I couldn't, I, I had trouble finding it. Ah, you know, like you want to have the Nitziv where you want to look for it. But here, this Nitziv is found on the Pesach at the end of Breshit, HaMalacha Goel Oti, Mikol Ra. Remember that Pesach? Right? It's, these are the words to a well-known song. Right? And the words are in the, are in the Chumash. HaMalacha Goel Oti, Mikol Ra, Yivarech Et HaNearim. HaMalach HaGoel Oti. So this is Yaakov Avinu. He sees his life as being a life lived with a malach. He doesn't say HaKadosh Baruch He says a malach. And Rashi says, Malach HaRagil Ishtalech Elai God sends this malach whenever I'm in trouble to save me. Kenyan Shenemar Vayome Elai Malach HaElokim Bechalom Yaakov Yaakov Anochi Akel Right? You remember, there are these tzukim that the Malach comes to Yaakov and says, Don't worry, Yaakov, we'll straighten this out. Right? So that's what he says. Yivarechet ha-na'arim menasheh ve-efrayim v'yidgularov v'kerev ha-aretz k'dagim ha-lalu sh'parim v'rabim v'ein ein ha-rash u-letet b'hem. That's dagim. That's the idea of the gay hayam. The gay hayam they have no problem with uh, with poor who they become whatever they have to become. I'm not responsible for the picture, but uh, it's an interesting picture nonetheless. I mean Rembrandt. Rembrandt was one of the most Jewish of all the artists, you know, of his generation. And even when he claims that he's doing a non-Jewish theme. Usually you see pictures of Jews. I mean, they must be Jews because they all look like relatives of ours. <laughs> so, because he lived in a in sort of a Jewish neighborhood, Rembrandt. Uh, near a Jewish neighborhood. And apparently he used to talk to the Jews to find out 
what's the story? Like, what's the story of these psukim? And then he would paint the Jews because they look right. They look <laughs> biblical. You know, so, so even if he calls it uh, a kind of uh, a different kind of name, but if you erase the name and just look at the picture, you could see Jews. It's like Jews. You see compassion. You say this is this is uh, uh, these are Jews, without a doubt. So look at what the Nitziv says. You see the Nitziv. Nitziv Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin wrote a parish on Chumash called Hamek Davar. And in that parish, he also they printed it with excursies. Excursus singular. Excursies, plural, right? Like, like we call them notes, running notes, and the running notes are called harchev davar, harchev davar. So here's a note on the pasuk that we just learned. They said Yoshua yada v'daisha malach bala azor at Israel. Yoshua knew that the malach came to help. Who um, skipped the parentheses? But 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 Yeshua realized that things were changing. That even though in the midbar they were living entirely under the direction of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, that's Moshe Rabbeinu who denied access to the, to the Malach. He said, the Malach, uh, uh, I'm not, not going to have me and the Malach. Me alone. No Malach. He says, Kavosh HaKatav Yemincha Hashem Nedarei Bakoch Yemincha Hashem Tiratz Oyev. So God took care of, personally, of the, uh, of the uh, bodily needs and uh, the food needs and, and defense and all of that, the Bishat, Ha'egel, Halabadat, right? God thought, Sheyal Yide Malach, Velo Yiniach Moshe, Gam Al Shneyad Varim, Kim Voaya Feb, Pasha Kitisa. He's talking about his own Perush, Vata, Kisheba Malach, Vayal Mukshe, Davali Yoshua. That's what it means. He's talking about, Yoshua said, Who are you? Who are you? Who else had difficulty with uh, recognizing a malach? You know, malachim. They either have a halo, or they shine, or they have wings. I mean, what do you mean? Who are you? What did Yeshua say? Are you with us or against us? What does this mean? Well, Yeshua should have known and probably did know. So, the answer of the Nitziv is that Yeshua's question was a different question. Makara. Up to now. Led by Moshe Rabbeinu. There was no Malach. Why do we need a Malach now? It was a different question that Yoshua was asking. So that's what the Nitziv says. That the Malach said to Yoshua Binun, listen, this is a fulfillment of the promise. Where's the promise? In the parasha of Mishpatim. And that, as we said, the Ramban said, that uh, the, uh, um, the argument that Moshe Rabbeinu me- made was accepted 
temporarily. And what the Nitziv adds is that how come Yoshua didn't know, didn't know it was an angel? He knew it was an angel. But he didn't know Pshat. He said, didn't Moshe Rabbeinu deny access to the Balach? Isn't it true that for the 40 years of the desert we lived without an angel? Isn't that true? So well, I need an angel now. So the angel said to him, no, no. That was the hiatus between the promise in Mishpatim and the fulfillment of that promise. The hiatus is the period of Moshe Rabbeinu. But now that B'nai Yisrael have come to Eretz Yisrael and you're standing here at Yericho and you have to do something, you have to act in a way that is, I'll help you. I'll help you. So the fact that the angel said, I'll help you, is not seen as an advantage. It's not seen as an advantage. Yoshua Ben-Nun understood that it was a disadvantage. And it meant, as Rashi said, that the Cheta Ego, this is like in the Pasuk here, just one, one last uh, Pasuk, which I don't think is on the sheet. <coughs> Yeah. After the Chaita Egel, after Moshe Rabbeinu Davids, and after Moshe Rabbeinu says, you have to forgive them, Ata lech nechei et ha'am el asher dibarti lecha hininei, hinei malachi yelech v'fanecha, there's a promise that Moshe Rabbeinu, God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, that the Malach will lead you, then Moshe Rabbeinu argues. But first, the Kodesh Moshe says the Malach, uveyom pakdi, upakadati aleihem Chatatam. What does that mean? Beyond Pakti, when I remember them, in other words, in history, when there is an occasion to punish B'nai Yisrael, something they, they, they are exiled, Beyond Pakti, Rashi says, Tamid, Tamid, Kshefkod Aleihem, Adonotehem, forever and ever, when I HaKadosh Baruch will remember their sins ufakadati alehem ma'at min ha'avon hazeh imshar ha'avonot I will punish them a little bit for the chayt ego. He says, yeah, the mercy of God was a way of deferring the punishment for the chayt ego, but that doesn't mean that there was atonement for the Chaita Ego. And so it says Beferush in the Pasuk that the punishment for the Chaita Ego is always being meted out. And that's what mercy means. Mercy doesn't mean that there's no din, that there's no judgment. It just means that the judgment is put off. So how could we be punished today for the Chaita Ego? We didn't do it. No, so the Pesach says, it says the Pesach in Rashi, that if we are punished legitimately, properly, for some other transgression that we have made, so a little bit more punishment, also for the, also for the Chaita Ego. So that, that the Malach said to Yoshua ben Nun, listen, mercy, stay of educa- execution, but you have to pay, you have to pay the bill. And one of the bills that you have to pay Yoshua Benun is that you're going to be led by a Malach 
and it's not going to be like it was in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. Have a good Shabbos.